Welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today we have Elias. How are you doing, Elias? I'm absolutely fantastic. Thanks for hosting me. Oh, thank you for joining us on the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I mean, this is right up your alley a little bit with the microphone and being able to speak and because you are a speaker, that's what you do. So do you want to just share a little bit about what you do uh, for a living and um, then we'll get into your, your story and where, where it begins with God. Yeah, well, thanks uh, for the opportunity, Joel. Um, probably the best way to describe myself is that I help leaders lead. Uh, and how do I do that? Well, I do five things. We coach, we speak, we train, we play leadership games, we do behavioral assessments. But yeah, I'm part of the global speaking um, industry and have been privileged enough to hold the, the role of president of the Global Speakers Federation, a uh, $4.5 billion industry that has 53,000 thought leaders around the world. So uh, something I don't take uh, too lightly, but uh, yeah. it's been a blessing. Wow, come on. I mean, isn't public speaking the number one fear or something like that, and then number two is death? Absolutely. Number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. <laughs> so that's why we made a conscious decision to call it professional speaking. So the public speakers can, can fear about that, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll concentrate on changing the world and uh, impacting people's uh, you know, ha- uh, lives, etc. Awesome, awesome. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really excited to hear a little bit about what God's done in your life. So let's actually just rewind. Let's go a little bit back in time and in, in the life of Elias. You're the first Elias I think I've ever met, by the way. Very cool wow. name. Awesome. Um, and yeah, so so who are you, Elias? Uh, where are you from? And tell us your journey that brought you to the Christian faith. Yeah, look, um, I, I had somebody refer to me the other day as uh, an international man of mystery. So so let me, let me go all the way back to the very, very beginning. And, and, and I kick off my story uh, by stating that uh, my dad was born in Jerusalem. My mum was born in Bethlehem. Both of them were Christians, Greeks. Um, and when the state of Israel was formed, independently they left their homeland and uh, went and traveled to North Africa, a country that uh, some people have heard of called Libya. We don't, we don't mention that often, but uh, they ended up in Libya where they, they met, married, and started a family. Now, I'm the youngest of three siblings, uh, and um, when I was growing up in Libya, uh, I remember my mum telling me that we're from the same tribe as Jesus. No pressure. Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's pretty cool, though. It, it it is cool, you know. And I was brought up in a in a Christian household, so you know, from an early age, I remember living this idyllic life in Libya. You know, going to church, Sunday school, all the usual sort of stuff, and uh, believing that God was real. And I loved it. Uh, absolutely, would do anything to to get involved with uh, with church. Mm. And in 1970, when uh, Colonel um, Mark Gaddafi uh, came and did a coup. I mean, we call him Uncle Mo for short. You know, he's a lo- <laughs> lovely, lovely chap. Not hey, Auntie Cindy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and so when he came to power, we had to leave the country. And and effectively, uh, at the age of about um, eight or nine, I ended up going to the UK, where I was brought up in the UK. So again, in the UK, uh, the the Christian Union was something I would. I'd do whatever I could do on a Sunday to bring people to the the uh, the meeting because mm. the more people you brought, the more points you got, and points mean prizes. So you know we we do anything to do that uh, to to get to read the scripture things along those lines. So great, great um, in boarding school, all go until the age of fifteen. Okay, so you're in the UK. And you're all go with with everything God really with your family and all that. What happened at fifteen? Well, I was at boarding school, so at the age of twelve, uh, eleven or twelve, I started going to boarding school again. You know, uh, full on for Christ and um, doing things that I could do on on a Sunday. So and, let me just stop you there. When you say full on for Christ, had you had a moment at the in these young years where got where. Christ came in and, and changed you, like baptized in the Holy Spirit or gone to the front of the altar call or uh, just somebody prayed for you or it was just more of an obedience to the faith, that childlike faith? 
so if if this was a a video podcast, you know, people be looking at that look on my face, because honestly, what you what you describing there is totally alien. I was brought up in the Greek Orthodox Church. Mm. Now you 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 talk about. Um, a religious experience. Yeah. Now I knew that God was real. Yeah. Through what I'd heard, the stories I'd heard in Sunday school, what they had taught me, what they had uh, uh, explained to me through the Christian Union, uh, I, mm. I knew that God. I knew that um, uh, the Holy Spirit was real. Acts uh, had all happened. So I knew it from a religious viewpoint. Yes, and like historical almost as well. Absolutely. So when 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 you went to the Greek Orthodox Church and somebody once described it uh, and and without um uh, well, there's always a risk of, of being um, uh, a little pious when I say this, you know, uh, is bells and smells. So there was a religious uh, activity where you knew when you went to church and I used to go to church regularly with my parents. Every single Sunday that we were together, we'd go to church, and we knew when the priest was going to uh, get out the incense, and we knew when we had to stand up and sit down and uh, do the sign of the cross and everything else. And then when I went to, to boarding school, I, I already had that experience, so that understanding, so I, so I thought, a religious viewpoint. And we, we got together uh, as a group of boys um, who who did some Bible studies. So probably, I don't know, four or five of us, maybe six, got together on a regular basis. And on one instance, when I was aged about 15, I remember going into one of these meetings, and at the very end of the meeting, the elder, the, the eldest boy who was, who was running the, the group turns around and says, let us pray, at which point I did what I was taught to do, bow my head, Look down towards the ground, at which point he lifts his arms, lifts his head up, and starts praying, Father God. I looked at him and I said, what are you doing? 15 years old. <laughs> I know. Uh, I must have been 15 years this. old, 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I said to him, what are you doing? And he looks at me and says, I'm, I'm praying. But I said, you can't pray like that because it was the context of what I was brought up with. Wow. To the to the point that I turned around and said, "Well, you're a Pharisee." Oh wow! <laughs> Call him out. Absolutely, called him out. out. You're a Pharisee. You're a clean cup on the outside. You're dirty yeah. on the inside. Mm. Well, so needless, what, was needless. it? Was that just because he he did the expression of prayer like very openly in front of you? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I'd never seen that happen before, and in, in the context of the Greek Orthodox Church that I was, uh, I grew up in, it, it was frowned upon. I mean, um, you, you've got to understand that this is an environment where, for example, women are told to wear a a uh, head scarf, you know, mm. covering. Uh, it's rare, uh, and back then in the seventies. Would a woman have even gotten up to uh, to share scripture uh, at church? You know, very unlikely. Mm. So, as a fifteen-year-old boy seeing something out of the ordinary, I accused that young man of being a Pharisee, and he was less than less than impressed. So, <laughs> so, so, so he did turn around to me and say, "Please apologize." Oh, really? Yeah, I, I refused. Wow. I, I wasn't going to do that. No, no way, Joel. Yeah. And then the, the, the housemaster came over to see me and he said, Elias, you should really apologize to this boy. I said, I can't. I won't. She said, well, if you don't, I'm going to have to cane you. And so that was the first time in my life I got punished. Mm. And I got punished for what I believe was defending God. Mm. And I got so angry, so angry with that experience. I'd never been caned before that I simply walked away from God at the age of 15. Wow. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, you you thought that you had God's back in a way, and he almost didn't have yours. I didn't I didn't realize that at the time, but, uh, you know, looking back, um, I spent, you know, nearly 30 years in the wilderness before I came back, and, and that's the one thing I've got to say. Uh, maybe this is evolution, I don't know. Uh, the, the tribe of Israel spent 40 years in, in, mm. in the wilderness. I managed to reduce that to 30 years. So that's, that's, <laughs> I'm going to take that win, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and drive it forward. But, yeah, honestly, it, it became, it became a, um, an opportunity for me to then just, you know, do whatever I wanted to do. Mm. I'd still go to church and I'd go through the, the steps and the process because I knew what was expected 
expected. I knew mm. when to stand, when to sit, when to sign the cross, you know, when to turn around and say whatever they say. And you were accusing somebody else of being a Pharisee. Ooh! <laughs> Just so I'll throw that in there. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Joel. Uh, so what time do you guys have to go? <laughs> You know, just being real, eh? Because that's kind of what they were. Um, they were they were masters of looking religious, knowing what holiness should look like on the outside, and they did that in the Bible, you know. And then Jesus comes up and says what you said to that that poor boy. <laughs> yep. Uh, so this is going to be a very short interview. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I mean no, no, no offense at all. Um, I think that that's amazing. Um, that you're defending the faith, you know, almost religiously, which is what you what you what you're doing, which is a great heart to have, you know, and and that makes a a terrifying evangelist, especially. And it's cool to see where that sort of began in your younger years. So, um, how long? So you were away from God for thirty years in the wilderness. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what was it? that brought you, you know, round circle back to God or back to thinking that you needed him or anything like that? Was there an event in your life? or And what did your wilderness walk look like? Did it look like in a desert? Well, uh, <laughs> again, let me, let, me, let me go back to growing up in Libya because I think yes. uh, it's part of the story and I think it needs to, to be shared. Um Growing up in Libya, it was a very idyllic sort of lifestyle. But mm. allegedly, at the age of four, maybe five years old, my mum says that I came up to her one day and I said, Mum, can I have a knife so I can stab Dad in the back and kill him? Now, I don't know if this is a true story or a made-up story because when I was growing up, my dad used to call me an idiot. So the whole time that I was growing up, I had this uh, idea, this vision that I was stupid. Mm. And um, it affected um, my, self, my self-perception. And my mum kept on repeating the story with anybody who'd be around whenever I was around. Mm. And she used to repeat this. And so growing up, I guess it impacted, number one, my relationship with my dad, my, my uh, birth father. Uh, and secondly, it affected my self-esteem. Uh, and um, by the time I was in my, uh, I guess, probably uh, mid-30s, I ended up uh, leaving New Zealand and going, uh, sorry, leaving the UK where we were living and going all the way across the other side of the earth to, to New Zealand. Could I get any further away physically yeah. from my dad than that? Because I had this perception of who he was, which was a false perception created by this conversation that was going on in my mind. In fact, when I I look at my my studies at school, uh, I was at the very bottom of my class going through uh, high school, uh, all the way through to university. And it took me a long time to understand. I mean, I had had failed relationships. Uh, I was self-sabotaging. In my work, I'd probably not uh, hold a role for more than a couple of years, three years tops, and mm. I'd move on to another role. So when I had the opportunity to come to New Zealand, I grabbed it with both arms. And I, I brought my now ex-wife and my two daughters from my first marriage over to New Zealand without knowing anybody, without having visited New Zealand, without having a job. It was a, it was a leap of faith, but... Back then, I, I wouldn't have classified it as a leap of faith. Mm. But back then, and as I look back, I can see God's fingerprints all over my journey, which is great to have. So it was only after I came to New Zealand, separated uh, from my wife, remarried, started another family, and I was sitting there with some of my business mentors, and uh, we were talking about setting goals. And I was instructed very uh, simply to turn around and and write my goals, short, medium, long-term, short being the next 12 months, medium-term, three to five years, and then long-term, 10 years plus. I was asked to do that. Uh, my wife was asked to do hers, both separately, and then prioritise the most important through to the least. Now, as you've already pointed out, Joel, I'm halfway through. I'm almost at the end of my 30 years in my wilderness experience. And I remember uh, sitting with my uh, business mentors 
And as I wrote my list, I wrote in the top of my, my, my number one priority in my short term was to be planted in a good church. Now, I knew through the experience uh, in business that when we went to weekend conferences, there was a voluntary Sunday uh, morning service. Mm. And I used to go to those services, and it's at those services that something was stirring inside of me. Something was, you know, causing me to literally question and, and um, you know, almost come, come in tears. And, and though it took me probably six or seven years from when I first experienced that to making the decision, I remember going to a business function uh, back in um, 1998 and uh, we were invited to this event where somebody was going to speak for uh, on four topics over five hours. I think it cost me all of $20. So it was, it was good value for money. And every time this guy was speaking, he was sharing a story and he was talking about business ethics. But all the stories I remembered from when I was growing up, they were, they were stories from uh, the Bible. And I could remember as he was sharing these stories, I'm thinking, yeah, these are, these are good points. I know them. And so they, they started to, to stir up this feeling that I had when I was 15 that I, I managed to, to almost box away and, 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 and categorize and, and put it to one side. But even then it took nearly seven years of having the – the stirring there to making a decision in 2005, best decision I made. What decision is that? Well, that was the decision to go to church. And when I went to church, I knew that I was going to go to um, a Pentecostal church. So when I think of Pentecostal church, I think of uh, uh, loud music. Okay, so, <laughs> so from the Greek Orthodox Church of uh, Religion. Yeah, it's got to uh, be quite different, isn't it? 100%. <laughs> so, so I walked into the church, and sure enough, uh, number one, um, the, the, it didn't look like the traditional church that I've been to. Uh, number two, yes, when the music started, I thought, okay, I'm not going to do anything, because I know at the end it's going to be this thing called an altar call. And I was, I was 100% convinced I'm not going to do anything. So mm. I sat there, number one, with my arms crossed mm. until I suddenly felt that my leg was tapping. I thought, what, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> tapping to the music. Oh, okay, okay. So I managed to uncross my arms and I listened to uh, the pastor who was preaching that uh, particular evening. And again, everything that he said, I was nodding my head to it in, in agreement. And then they asked, they said, well, you know, can we bow our heads and close our eyes? And I knew the altar call was coming along, so I did that dutifully, except I did have my right eye slightly open. I was looking out because my wife was sitting to my right. And I said, I'm not going to put my hand up until she puts hers up. Ladies so, first, right? Trying abs- to be polite. Yeah. yeah. The, gen- <laughs> the, the ultimate gentleman, right, whatever. And sure enough, when she put her hand up, that's when I thought it was safe for me to do so. Best decision I made to, to realign my relationship with Jesus, and I, I'm, I'm very deliberate about saying that because what I had before was a religion, and I went from a religion to a relationship, and that was a major, major a shift for me that uh, helped us to to change our perception and help me mm. to realign. Now, it, it hasn't been an easy journey. It's not all all you know roses and uh, you know beautiful happy ever after. It was still a journey, and it still is a journey going forward. Yeah. So when you say um, you change from religion to relationship, just so that we um, can get a bit of a grasp on maybe somebody's listening right now and they've only ever experienced religion, what do you mean when you say you change from religion to relationship? Well, the, the simplest way to describe it is probably by uh, turning around and, and sharing what was the first instruction. First instruction we were given was, uh, look, here's, here's a copy of the Bible. And um, we were in, uh, encouraged to do three things. Number one, find a good place to be planted in. And obviously, you know, the church we were at the time was a great church, so we got planted there. The second thing was to, to read uh, the Bible. 
And reading the Bible was uh, really the way that God could speak to you through his word in the Bible. And the third thing was to to pray. And to pray was to talk to, to God. So you think about those last two elements. Number one, I'm praying, I'm talking to God. I'm having a conversation just like I'm having a conversation with you right now. So, Joel, it's a case of, hi, hi Joel, how are you today? Mm. And, 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 Joel, you might say, yeah. I might even respond. Yeah, absolutely, and that, yeah. that's a bonus. You know, and so when you're having this conversation, you go away from, hey, I'm just turning up so I can tick the boxes, yep. to I'm now engaging with a real person. And that was a major breakthrough for me because you, you're talking about somebody who knows that God is real, but has never really had a conversation with God. Mm. And you can get into a situation of literally uh, going around and talking. And God will talk to us in different ways. I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, when, when my wife, after we got saved, decided to, to go down to the beach, so I'm going to go down to the beach, I'm going to have a word with God. She comes back from the beach and she says, just had a chat with God, asking him about whether or not I should take another job. And God says to her, and this is what she told me, she said, um, he said, I just need to get my ducks in a row. This is God talking to my wife. When I turn around to God and I say, God, should I, should I give some money you know, uh, in the sacrificial offering? You go, uh-huh, and that'll be it. So, so I think God does talk to us in a different way depending on who we are and what we're asking him. Mm. But he does, I sincerely believe he does talk to us. Yeah. I love that. Um, it's one of the one of the key um, moments of the Christian faith is developing that relationship with Christ and to understand that. I mean, sometimes when I talk to talk to God, I'm praying and I'm praying like I'm leaving a voice message, and I'm and I hang up and I sort of forget about it and think, oh yeah, he might answer down the track or whatever it is. But now it's this. Uh, and I encourage anybody listening to not pray like it's a voice message, to, but to pray more like it's a walkie-talkie. Mm-hmm. So you've said, and then you wait, and you re- you wait to receive and, and, and wait for him to respond. And that that's helped me tremendously uh, to be able to allow that response from God and to not just hang up the phone and forget about it, but to wait as he... What's he going to say? Is he going to say something back? He might take a couple of minutes, but rest and dwell and have patience. And um, you, you just never know, eh? Like, and, and you're right, God, God speaks in many different ways to different people. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, I just I love hearing stories like that of how God actually talks to the different people. Very, very inspiring. Do you have an event in your life after you came to church and after you, I mean, like came back, to the Pentecostal church in your life that after that point and you put your hand up um, with the <clears throat> with the altar call, do you have an event in your life that you know that God had to be involved and that something changed and that sort of built faith or solidified a bit more faith or anything like that? Yeah, 100%. Um, after I got saved... A lot of things happen in our lives, and I remember a couple of things that uh, triggered off back in um, probably 2005. We got saved. We went for our water baptism, and during the water baptism, uh, I remember coming out of the water, and God said to me, in two years' time, you'll be debt-free. That's cool. Oh, absolutely. So I turned around to my wife, and I said, hey, uh, we're going to be debt-free, you know, in two years. God just said this to me. He said, Really? So, yeah, absolutely. And then for the next 18 months, I tried in my own strength to get debt free. I was going to uh, build my Amway business, go Emerald Diamond, get all the bonuses, and, and that will help us get debt free. No, that, that wasn't it. Uh, maybe I was going to uh, get, uh, you know, um, extra bonuses at work and, and, and you know, qualify and, get, and go up the, the corporate ladder. That wasn't it. So I knew that I was going to sell my house until I saw the little shoebox I had to live in. And my wife said, no, we're not going to do that. And eventually I figured it out. It was the Reader's Digest prize draw. I was going to win that. But 
no, despite my best efforts, none of that was going to work. It was only when I came back to church 18 months after God mentioned this um, word to me that I, I heard it was a leadership weekend and uh, one of the, um, uh, the, the, the scriptures that came out was, give me your burden and take on mine. Mm. So I thought, okay, I can do that. So God, here's my burden, becoming debt-free. I'll give it to you. I've tried to fix it. Good luck. It was your idea in the first place. Off you go. Now, what's your burden? And God said to me, another scripture said, be salt and light. And I was a relatively new Christian again coming back in. What does that mean? And then another scripture came up, which was Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. I thought, you know what? I can understand that. So that was his burden. And once I gave over my burden to become debt-free, took on his, within six months, six short months, he cleared $160,000 of debt. Come on. Oh, honestly, it was unbelievable. But if you think that's unbelievable, how about being $2 million in debt, which is where I found myself a number of years later on. And again, it's the testimony that I have of what God did to help us remove $2 million of debt. But let me go back and again, between becoming debt-free in six months, within two years of, uh, of the water baptism, finding myself in 2018, $2 million in debt. Not $2 million I had planned to be in debt with, but in 2013, God came into my life again and did something that just blew me away. God turned around and said, uh, uh, Elias, I'd like you to get involved in professional speaking. And I thought to myself, okay, I, I, I'll, I'll try. I'm not very good. Um, you know, maybe a bit like Moses, uh, a bit of a stutter or something. But he got me involved in this, and I became what I call the accidental president in 2013. Because I, I literally, I was told, hey, uh, Professional Speaking Association here in New Zealand, do not make eye contact with the president, because they're looking to uh, allocate uh, the next president, vice president, etc. So I tried my best, but obviously she must have been cross-eyed or something. I made some eye contact and then I became the accidental president. And sure enough, in my first meeting, I ended up uh, finding out that the representative for New Zealand to the Global Speakers Federation was about to retire. And she was quitting the industry. Who would be interested? Again, before I knew it, my, my hand was up there in the air. And I found myself investing $6,000 in less than six weeks, to go to Canada and attend a conference there. Maybe you should ask me about what happened there. What happened at the conference in Canada? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the most uh, bizarre situation. I, I went there as a, as a, as a newbie, uh, an unknown in the industry. And I, I, uh, I went to attend the first day pre-conference workshop. So I'm in the room uh, enjoying whatever the, the, they're teaching us at that time. And then they say, we'll have a, um, a toilet break now. So they stopped the, the meeting as I walked out uh, of the room on the second floor of this beautiful five-star hotel in Vancouver. I look around and as I'm walking out of the room, a gentleman walks out of the room next to me. Both of us looking for the gents toilets. Can we find the gents toilets? Nowhere to be seen on the second floor. <laughs> Honestly, you know. Uh, you, you cannot strip this. And so we went down two flights of uh, stairs, and on the way down, a g gentleman uh, turns around and says, oh, hello, dear. My name's Sean from Ireland. I said, oh, hi, Sean. I'm Elias from New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand. I love the Maoris, he says. And so we start this conversation. We, we go to the, uh, the gentleman on the way back up. He, he turns around and um, he says, I'll be giving the clothes and keynote at the end of the conference. Would you be coming to watch me? I said, sure, Sean, I'd love to come and watch. So um, actually, just next day, funnily enough, uh, we, 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 we exit the same room. Guess what I see right in front of me? The entrance to the gents. <laughs> Honestly, it was like God wow. put this invisibility cloak over, oh, wow. over this entrance to stop me from finding it, which made me think. 
Did it make you meet that guy as well? Absolutely. Well, there's no doubt about it because I guess the thought that I had is, you know, why did they never find any weapons of mass destruction in the Middle East? Mm, yeah, true. Because they send middle-aged men to look for them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, need a, needs the woman look, eh? I mean, Laura, Laura always jokes with me, you know, every time I open the fridge and if it's not right on that shelf at eye level, I can't, she can't, she can hide anything in that fridge and I would never find it, eh? But yeah, so, so yeah, you um, ended up having this whole conversation in front of something that you were looking for, the, the gents' toilets, and, and then it just, Almost appeared in front of you. <laughs> Absolutely, and then the the very final, um, you know, uh, presentation at the conference. Mm. This guy gets up on stage, and first words out of his mouth. Uh, I, I shared a joke with him before. No, it wasn't the joke. First words out of his mouth is, "Satan wants you to have a new name." Uh, j- just let that settle in. There's a guy on stage turning around glorifying Satan. Now, by this stage, I've been saved for about uh, eight or nine years. I'm fired up. I'm really looking at what God can do to help me. And here I hear somebody coming up and glorifying Satan, and he continues that Satan left heaven to come down on earth, and he owns earth, and he wants us to have a new name. And so this went on for the best part of 45 minutes. At this point, I had a choice. I could like some of my Christian colleagues in the room, get up and walk out of the room. Or I could sit in there and pray against that, which is what I chose to do. He continues to the point that he finishes off his presentation saying, I prefer to spend eternity in hell than one day as a prisoner of God in heaven. And I thought, son, be careful what you ask for. That's exactly what you're going to get. It's an intense thing to be saying at a conference. Oh, one hundred percent. And and as soon as I as soon as I said, you know, son, be careful, you know, what, what you're asking for, because that's going to get. God very clearly said to me, Elias, time for you to take over the stage. Now, again, Joel, um, I'm a newbie in the industry. Mm. I have no profile, and God is now t- telling me He's going to accelerate my my journey in this industry, and sure enough, he does. Within five years, I find myself as the president of the Global Speakers Federation, $4.5 billion industry with 53,000 thought leaders around the world. God absolutely has a plan, Mm. and I believe that if he he revealed the plan, there's no way I would have taken it. Mm. Wow, that is incredible. I love that. So did you ever get a chance to talk to this Irish Satanist <laughs> um, and sort of share your faith with him? Again. No, no, I haven't had that opportunity. In fact, uh, um, in 20, so that was 2013, 2018, uh, I was at another conference in the UK and uh, a similar group of people, uh, he was uh, in that room uh, mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, we ended up having a VIP dinner. And at the VIP dinner, uh, I'm sitting there in amongst seven or eight people, maybe four or five, which I knew. And one chap turns around and says, well, tomorrow's the start of the conference. Maybe we should sacrifice a goat to Satan. I'm thinking to myself, what is, you know, I'm halfway across the other side of the world. It's my wife's birthday. I'm sitting in a room as a Bible-carrying Christian, thinking to myself, what the heck is happening here? And and. All I could do was be me. Now, the, the, the chap in, in question, this uh, the Sean character, comes up to me during the conference and says, oh, I want to be a Facebook friend with you. I want to learn from you. So my opportunity is to talk into his life in a subtle way by being me on social media, mm. by turning around and doing things that God tells me to do and being honest about myself. Mm. Now, social media is still a... Yeah, it's, it's a dangerous place to go to today. It's very divisive. So you've got to be careful about what you say and how you say it. But I think that God has created opportunities for us to, to own the word and to take the word and counter what people like this guy mm. are doing and saying. Yeah, it's corrupting it. And the Bible says, you know, um, be, give, uh, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. 
um, be equipped. And and I love how you said um, when God said, you know, I want you to go up onto that stage. I want you to be essentially the face of this. And you're thinking, man, I don't feel qualified to this. I'm the newbie here. And what comes to mind is is that, I mean, it's it's an overused quote, but I think it fits you perfectly, is God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Wow. Yeah. And you're just stepping out and going, all right, I'll do it. You know, raising my hand, Lord, send me. Yeah. And, um, I, and the other thing that you said earlier is, if God had showed me where he would be telling me to go, I would have probably not gone. And that's part of that discipleship, like the the character that you would have to fill those shoes, those shoes can be so big and you don't realize like, I mean, when you, when you climb a mountain, you know, you don't climb straight up, you go round and round and round sort of, and, and you're slowly getting higher and higher. And then all of a sudden, by the time you've got to the top, you're a fit person. Mm, <laughs> and true. you lost 10 kgs. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's how God sort of sees us, you know, goes, look, I'm going to get you to climb Mount Everest there or whatever it is. And you just go, man, I, that is, you're just looking straight up. You're not looking at the track to the right, which is just a couple of steps, you know, slowly uphill. And God makes you fitter and he prepares you for that journey and he qualifies you as you are called. So, you know, Joel, that's a great point. And and you just remind me, I, I had the opportunity to take a, a week off recently and I decided to go up to, say, in Cooper's Beach. Now, people say, where's Cooper's Beach? Exactly, where is Cooper's Beach? People are nowhere. <laughs> it's a four-hour drive north uh, of uh, of Auckland and another hour and a half drive before you get to Cape Reanga. And I went to Cape Reanga on a beautiful sunny day and on my way to the lighthouse, I noticed that there was a, a, a little sign that said uh, you can walk down to the beach. It was about a 45-minute walk. Mm. I thought, you know what, it's a beautiful day. Let me go to the beach. There's nobody else there. You could see the beach at the, the bottom of the um, sort of um, walk. Mm. But as you're walking along, all you could see was probably the edge of the cliff. And you think to yourself, is it worth continuing further? And you go just a little bit further. I go to the next set of steps. And all you can come is to another part of the cliff. And you think to yourself, is it, should I stop? I, I noticed they said 45 minutes. So I'm timing myself and thinking to myself, I'm not even halfway there. But I can't see a path to get me down to the, the mm. beach. Until eventually I go around a corner and around another corner. And then it all opens up to me. I see a path carved into the, into the mountain. Mm. that I can take down. I think, oh, good, I'll continue. And it takes me maybe 30, 35 minutes to get down there. But I didn't quite think about the consequence of going down there because once you get down, you've got to come back up. (laughs) But you're right, you're going to get fitter. And I thought to myself, okay, now that I made made it all the way down, because I could have quit halfway through the journey. Mm-hmm. And I'd hate to be um, you know, accused of not being a complete finisher. So once I got down, I thought, okay, 45 minutes to get back up. Maybe I can just walk up to the next set of steps and take a micro pause mm. and then get up to the next set of steps. And sure enough, you can. God will be there with you. He's probably carrying you mm. throughout this journey. Yeah. But it is worth being there so you can just have some quiet time with God. Mm. Come on. I think that's so cool. Very, very cool. Um, so as you, you mentioned something before the podcast even started about um, working a little bit with the John Maxwell uh, Foundation or something like that. Would you like to share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a what's called a founding partner of Maxwell Leadership. Uh, and Maxwell Leadership was set up in uh, 2011. So I saw John Maxwell first present on leadership uh, back in tw- uh, oh, 1998. So that's when he launched the book, The 21 uh, Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Mm. I was so captivated by what John uh, talked about in that book that I immediately invested $1,000 to buy the full package, um, audio, cassette tapes, VHS uh, videos, uh, workbook, uh, book itself. I mean, I'm dating myself now. 
a, a what tape? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I bought that uh, material and I used it, number one, um, I think, John, when, when you joined the Maxwell Leadership and I've, I've had the opportunity to, uh, to introduce it to a number of people, I say, treat it as you would um, the safety briefing on an aeroplane. Well, when, when the auction mask comes down, who do you put it on first? Mm. You put on yourself first. Yeah. You're not very in a use, suffocated and dead. Absolutely. Yeah. So Maxwell leadership to me was all about self leadership, all about uh, being able to turn around and work through. So when when the opportunity in 2011 came to join Maxwell leadership, I I, I was in. I mm. uh, absolutely knew that I needed to be part of the the group, and um, uh, I was number. I found out number four and number five to join the team, and back then. We thought it was going to be limited to a maximum of a thousand people. Now today, uh, ten, eleven years on, we are between forty-three, forty-four thousand worldwide. Wow! So again, I, I, I'm I'm just so blessed by what God has done to get me in there to help me grow my leadership, so that I can then help others grow theirs. Yeah. As I said at the beginning, uh, you know, I help leaders lead. That's what I do. Yeah, I love that. That's such a powerful thing to do because often leaders don't know who to go to um, if, if they're not sure as well. So you're the man that um, essentially just yeah helps the leaders lead. Very, very powerful. Um, what's what, what would you say uh, the most important focus, apart from Christ, is for a Christian? Well, I learned the lesson... Um, as I was developing my own business. So I, I, in 2008, I managed to leave the corporate world and uh, then I joined a political party, Christian political party, contested the 2008 general election. At the time, we were debt-free. This is after I, I mentioned that story earlier on where uh, God had uh, created us um, and got rid of all of our debt, which was wonderful. Decided uh, to support a couple of my colleagues who had set up uh, back then a, a, a party called the Family Party. And when I made the decision and I started fasting to, should I, you know, what should I do? Dedicate a year of my, my time and volunteer in this area. Um, they said, come and have a meeting with us. And at that meeting, I thought maybe they're going to ask me to be um, the campaign manager for one of the, uh, the leaders. But no, when they asked me to come in, they asked me to become the party president. That's when I learned the lesson that it's not just you, but you and others. Mm. So when, when you look at this, there's a great scripture that says, well, one will put aside a 1,000, but two will put aside 10,000. Mm. What do we do when we find people who can support us? So outside of Christ, I will turn around and encourage people to look at developing their own what I call personal board of directors. Mm. people that you can go to who are, um, are there to support you, people with, number one, a great spiritual oversight, and number mm. two, a great business um, uh, uh, oversight as well. And to have people surround you means that you're not doing this by yourself. You're always there with others. You're always mm. looking for how people can guide you and give you their wisdom. Because if you try to do it by yourself, chances are you're going to stuff it up. That's so good. Um, just before you carry on there, uh, a scripture came to my mind, um, which I thought was uh, very applicable to what you've been saying. You know, you've been going to these conferences all over the, the planet, really, um, and sowing, sowing money into these conferences. And the, the scripture comes to mind is Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verse 5, sell everything and buy wisdom. Forage for understanding. Wow, that's and, great. And it's really what you've been doing, you know. It's a lot of, you know, God, I can't do this and I need to find someone not only to disciple me but to lead me and to to, to bring me to that next level. And you've really put into practice that, you know, selling everything and buying wisdom. Can, can, I, can I be contentious here? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um. Maybe you're gonna. I know. I'm, I'm, I'll let's let's try this out. Part of the people that I went to, by the way, came from the world. 
because I wanted to learn from people who are in the world, what are they doing? What are they doing that is being successful? But I think that we also have to be equally yoked. Mm. So I think it's important for us to understand, let's not throw the the baby out with the bathwater. If I can learn from people who are successful, Mm. who are of the world, then I can apply that with biblical principles. But then I need to have other people surrounding me at all times that that can talk into my life, that can help me with my spiritual walk. Uh, So I think it's a combination of both. Now, I'm not saying do everything that the world says, but learn from the world. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, we're we're encouraged to go out there and uh, be part of the marketplace. So can we take our ministry out to the marketplace? Absolutely. Can we learn from others? Absolutely. Can we influence them? Absolutely. But we have to be wise when we're Mm. doing this. Come on. Would you say um, that the world or the wealth that people have in the world sometimes uh, they've generated that wealth through biblical principles as well, unknowingly. Um, and I say this, the reason, the person that comes to mind regarding that statement is a man named Robert Kiyosaki, who's the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he said something in one of his books, I think it's Rich Dad, Guide to Investing. Um, he he said something like this uh, along the same lines. It's inevitable if somebody will become wealthy if they do these three things. They give 10%, the first 10%, whether it's to a church or a charity. They invest 10%, and then they save 10%, and they live on 70%. And he said, inevitably, if you do that, you will become wealthy. And I'm looking at that and going, that is awfully biblical. I mean, wonderfully biblical, I should say. And I've had the honor to actually meet Robert Kiyosaki, and he... I pray for him, but he is definitely not a Christian. But he implies biblical principles, and he has, you know, walked the talk. Yeah, yeah. walked the talk. And um, he is an incredibly wealthy man, but definitely runs a lot of his things uh, very biblically based, those principles. And I just think that's amazing, you know. It just It's actually more glory for God, you know, and that's why... Essentially, if you were to sell everything and look for wisdom and look for understanding, and that was something that you acquired, essentially your decisions just would inevitably inevitably lead to wealth. They, they would inevitably lead to better decisions, better relationships, better self-improvements, better habits in your life, healthier eating, all of that sort of stuff. That's what, that's what wisdom and understanding is. And how do you find it? I mean... The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So to have a reverence for God to be sure that you are, he's not only just your saviour, your king, but he's your business partner, he's your counsellor, he's your, your friend, he's, the, he's your father that you run to when, not run from when you're in trouble, but run to when you're in trouble. And um, I just think like that's, so in line with what what you've done, you know, you've gone to these seminars and amazes me really. You had this Irish satanic man there, but um, yeah, a lot of the principles definitely I, I find them in the Bible when I read these amazing books from from these incredible people that are, even aren't Christians, but they've they've drawn that wisdom from somewhere, and the very baseline is usually the Bible. I, I think it is the Bible. Quite often, when you when you read a book, um, whether it's uh, Florence Littauer's Personality Plus, as, as an example, you'll often see scriptures referenced in the book itself. Yeah, uh, many people have biblical principles; they don't understand them as biblical principles, and that's one of the beauties that uh, Maxwell Leadership has taught me. And John Maxwell himself, when you when you're presenting. And John shared this uh, about his experience uh, in presenting to some of the Chinese leaders in government, in in business, etc. At the end of his presentation, the host said, Dr. Maxwell, we have never seen leadership um, presented this way. Can you tell me, where do you source your material? And and, and John said, "Um, you, you, you don't want to ask. 
They said, no, no, please tell us. He said, you'll be disappointed. Please don't ask. They insisted. And eventually he, he turns around and says, I source it from the Bible. At which point they shrugged their shoulders and <laughs> sighed. He said, look, I'm, I'm a man of faith. And after dinner, I'll be happy to talk to you about my faith. So if you want to come and meet me, I'll be at this point in this, in this room, in this corner. And sure enough, after dinner, there was a big line of people waiting to talk to him coming out the door and around the corner. Praise Jesus. Amen. Now, you can introduce biblical principles. You can introduce them by saying, hey, one of my uh, favorite um, Jewish proverbs is, you know, and then you, you, you mention whatever it is. and Or you can introduce and say, um, you know, I would not be fair to myself and my faith. And I don't want to, I don't want to force my faith upon you, but... Um, something that I, I, I read is a, is a quote from Jesus that he says, and you can share some of the parables that Jesus has, has shared. Now, I think that the principles come in the Bible. And somebody once said, what does the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, stand for? And it's best instruction before leaving earth. And I like that because you can find a lot in there. Now, I'm going to encourage people, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, Get a copy of the Bible, mm. read it from cover to cover, and read it with an open mind. Yeah, and then read it again and again because each time I keep on reading the Bible, I get a new revelation, mm. something else that I never saw before. And when you see something in the Old Testament and you see something in the New Testament, suddenly it seems to make sense. Yeah, but you've got to have people who can open your eyes to that mm. and be willing to listen. Come on, that is so good. Really, really good. Um, here's a question. I mean, I'll be foolish to not ask this. You you teach leaders how to lead. Can I please, for the listeners, for myself really, um, what is some advice for future leaders, aspiring leaders, leaders that lead? <laughs> <laughs> um, here's a simple, a simple answer. Leaders are readers. So if you have the opportunity, read. And I used to read uh, autobiographies all the time. I always used to look for successful business people and read about them. But if you are going to read, read self-development books. Mm. Read other leadership books. Start off with people like um, John Maxwell or um, Jim Collins. Great people who can talk to you about leadership. Mm. and it's not management, it's not about controlling people, but about leading. Yep. So start off with leading would be my number one tip. Come on. And, um, you know, you actually have written some books on leadership yourself, haven't you? So would we be able to, I'll, I'll put them in the description and people can find links to that as well because um, you'll, you'll learn an abundance of wisdom and knowledge and I think it's just wise to, to learn from other people. And if you've written them down for us to be able to absorb that information, I mean, because you, you can live a life for like 40 years and you, you you got all this wisdom and knowledge. When somebody condenses that amount of wisdom and knowledge into something that you can absorb over, I don't know, three months of reading a book or whatever it is, you are foolish to not do that. 100%. Look, always happy for people to, to find out more about the books I've written. And uh, leadership is a passion of mine. Um, one of my books, uh, Leveraging God, is about my faith journey. Mm. So, uh, you know, again, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, these books are designed to help you navigate life. Um, and uh, the latest book that I wrote, Leading from the Stop, was all about our experiences on 9-11. In one of 38 aeroplanes, I was diverted. When you understand... You were in the air? I was. You were in the air with 9-11? Absolutely. I was there. So we, where were you flying to? I was going from London Heathrow to Chicago, middle of a, um international speaking tour. When halfway through, we got diverted to a place called Gander International Airport in Newfoundland, Canada. Whoa. Because that's the one time in history, really, that pretty much all planes needed to land, right? Did you know that, uh, this, here's a random fact for all our listeners, you couldn't, there's not enough space on the planet to have every plane landed. How amazing is that? You have to have planes in the air. We actually have too many planes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, 38 of uh, those planes landed in uh, Gander International Airport and uh, we ended up spending a total of five days there, four of them with the Salvation Army. Yep. Maybe that's a topic for another, uh, another podcast in yeah, the future. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, that's awesome. Um, did you learn anything in particular about that? Well, like having a bit of faith in God and, uh, and, and essentially a, a huge moment in time, a bit of a what's going on, what happened, would, would you be able to um, evangelise to people at that point? Or This was before I was saved. So you mm. have to understand, Joel, that oh, uh, I was still uh, in the world. So um, it, was a, it was a wake-up call for us all. Um, I learned some lessons there, and mainly from um, people like the Salvation Army, Mm. Who who opened up their homes to us? So uh, on one level, here's here's the three top takes from from that experience. Number one, look after yourself first. It's okay to ask for help. I think that's very applicable to what's happening today mm. in this post COVID world. Uh, number two is to build and expand your community. Look after others. And the third thing we learned is change the rules. It's time for you to get up and uh, smell the roses. Because whatever happened and was working before 9-11 changed. Mm. Sorry, did I say 9-11? Because I could have said global financial crisis. I could have said, um, you know, COVID, Delta, Omicron, something else. Yeah. And something else will come along. It's true. We can. There's people, a uh, generation like my son, my daughter, who weren't really born. My son wasn't even born then. Uh, my daughter was only five months old. They haven't gone through that experience, so we need to show them that there is a way forward. And in the middle of that, mm. there's this little chap called Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Um, do you have some advice for someone that's listening right now and they've gone through similar trials, they've been in the wilderness for a little while, they still know that God's real and things like that, but maybe maybe that's the reason they're listening to this podcast and uh, they're listening to your testimony about somebody who's been in the wilderness for a long time um, and almost when you were going to church beforehand, it was more about out of a religious spirit than a relationship. Um, yeah, just some advice, general advice for anybody like that. Look, if, if you're out there and you're in the wilderness, um, I'm going to encourage you to find a church. Find a church, just go and uh, attend a service. Uh, they're not that scary. I thought they were, but they, they you know, normal people go there. Uh, and if you can't find a church, find a good podcast. And there's some great podcasts. Uh, I was listening to um, the, uh, I think, Elevation Church, Stephen Furtick, mm. uh, really spoke to me. Find one that can speak to you. Many churches have their own podcasts. And just get connected in. And, That's good. And, and you know, at least trial it for a while. Yeah, brilliant. That's one of the blessings of uh, today's technology, isn't it, is we have so much access to the gospel and what God's doing all over the world. So, Elias, you were saying about your father um, right at the start of this podcast episode, um, was there a redemptive quality to to your father and the way that he treated you and uh, the way that you're, you know, essentially affected your walk with God and all that? Look, great question. I'm glad that uh, you asked. Um I have this perception of my dad, which was uh, a false perception. I think it was uh, really the enemy trying to plant something in my mind. Uh, I found out he was a really, really nice guy. And when I eventually reconciled with him, which took me into my uh, late 40s, early 50s, uh, we had a strong bond. And I'm so proud of what he taught me uh, that uh, really uh, it, it made a big difference. That is awesome. I love hearing that, uh, you know, it comes full circle, doesn't it, a lot of the time. And um, a lot of that is just really trusting that God knows what he's doing. And he is a God of redemption. He's a God of restoration. And he's done that in our lives. And he does it with like a flow-on effect of the people around us in our lives. So, yeah, that is so, so cool. Um, So my final question before we end up wrapping up is where is God taking you now, Elias? Is he going deeper in some way? Where is he directing your path? What's going on? Yeah, God's uh, really uh, opened up some new doors for me. So uh, I'm involved with um, executive coaching now, and that's really uh, another where I'm, I'm literally leading the leaders. 
And the idea is that we want to positively impact a million households around the world. And we can do that by reaching the top leaders in the corporates around the world. And that's where God's just opened the door for me. So excited about the next journey and frightened at the same time. Come on. Oh, that is so cool. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, thank you, Elias, for joining us on today's episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. You've got a powerful testimony. And yeah, I just hope I just pray a million blessings on you, Elias. And um we'll put all of if anybody's interested in what Elias is doing, we'll have all of that information in the description. So be sure to check that out. We'll see you next time on the Jesus Magnet Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram. And if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on the Jesus Magnet.